This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Tim Murphy, author of the new novel Speech Team. I really, really love this conversation. The book itself is very much like a modern day breakfast club. It is the story of this group of now older students. They all went to high school together. They are now in their, I believe, late 20s when this happens. Um, And it's the story of why they come back together to deal with a series of traumatic experiences that they didn't really know were traumatic while they were in high school. And that's something that I think a lot of people experience while they're in high school. They get these moments that they don't realize are going to have lasting effects on them, whether it's with friends or teachers or uh, significant others, whatever it is, you have these moments where you don't really realize how much they're going to affect your life moving on. So that's a lot about what Speech Team is is all about. It's a really, really great novel. It's a perfect back to school novel, which is going to kind of color the conversation. I didn't mean this to be a back to school special, but we are uh, releasing this right around back to school time for anyone going to high school and all that. So uh, this is a, a good novel to read for those who are nostalgic for those high school years. Uh, and yeah, just really, really love the conversation we have. We talk about a series of different TV shows and just media in general that Tim and I are both drawn to. <laughs> we kind of show our age and our grumpy old person aspects of our personalities where we talk about a few very, very popular um, modern pieces of content that neither of us care very much about. But it was a really great conversation. I loved getting into the different types of stories that we are both drawn to. And with that in mind, I have a book recommendation. I bring up during this conversation, and I've, I've brought this author up a number of times on the podcast, but I don't know that I've ever recommended any of his works. Uh, Wendell Berry is one of my favorite authors that has ever written. Uh, Wendell has written quite literally dozens and dozens and dozens of books, both fiction and nonfiction. Uh, He is based in Kentucky. He has lived all of his, I believe, 90 plus years in Kentucky uh, on a farm that his family has owned for generations. And he writes lots of these stories that are very, very small town, very um, like family and community centric. And they just, this time of year, I find myself reading Wendell Berry books as a Midwesterner who loves fall and pre-fall. It's that time of year where, you know, if you're driving around Ohio where I live, you'll see all of these overflowing farmers uh, markets and gardens and everything. It's just a, a pretty cool time to be around here, especially if you like vegetables, which I do. So this is all to say, I'm going to recommend one of his Port Williams books. Uh, Port William is a small town that Wendell Berry 
created, quote unquote, but it is absolutely based on a small town in Kentucky that, that he is from. But he created this community of Port William and he wrote a bunch of different stories that are interconnected. You can really read them in any order, but there's these different characters you'll see coming and going from each story. And so I'm going to recommend A Place on Earth, which is one of these stories where you return to Port William. It's during World War II, but there's all these different characters, again, that you'll you'll notice if you read additional Wendell Berry books. There's Jaber Crow, who's a barber. Uh, there's Uncle Stanley, who's a grave digger. There's sharecroppers. There's a preacher. Um, but it basically just tells the story of all of these different lives that are intertwined during World War II, the things that they have to do to adjust their lives, to find a way to find peace with all of the things that are going on. But I just really, really enjoy how Wendell Berry is able to write about nature and these lives that are sometimes take place fully on a single farm and they still are rich and fulfilling and and beautiful. And just there really aren't any other writers like Wendell Berry out there, I I don't think, that do it quite as well as he does. So if you're a fan of, um, you know, nature, agriculture, agrarian lifestyle, things like that. And even if you're not, I recommend giving a Wendell Berry book a try. He also writes tons of poetry, but A Place on Earth is the one I'm going to recommend today. And as always, if you want to get additional book recommendations from me, you can email me at passionsandprologues at gmail.com, or you can follow me on uh, TikTok and Instagram at Passions and Prologues. And also be sure to check out my YouTube page. You can find that just by searching Passions and Prologues on YouTube. Uh, we've been posting clips of each episode there as well as some book recommendations. So if you want to take a look at some of the conversations I'm having, you can find me on YouTube as well. So I would appreciate if you want to follow me in any and all of those places, you know, got to be out there producing content at all times. Okay. That is all of the housekeeping. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation with Tim Murphy, author of Speech Team, um, Passions and Prologues. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, Tim, what is something you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? Well, Adam, as it happens, I recently, I just finished watching this limited series called Love and Death on, um, oh God, I, is it, I forget now if it's on, if it was on Netflix or Max. But anyway, um, it's a limited series and it's based on a true story of something that happened in sort of like a, you know, a comfortable Dallas suburb in the in the very late seventies, mm-hmm. um, where um, it was about a you know a, a group of couples. They were all part of the same church, and um, the the wife of one couple um, played who was played so brilliantly by Elizabeth Olsen in just an amazing performance that I hope she gets an Emmy for. And um, and the husband, and another couple that's played by 
I feel terrible. I think it's Kirsten Dunst's Dunst's. I, that's a hard one to say with the yeah. assassin attached to it. Kier, Kirsten Dunst's husband in real life. I'm forgetting his name, but they decide to have an affair. Um, you know, to have this very secret affair. Um, and it's about everything that unspools from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is called Love and Death. So yes, it does end in death. And it's based, I think, quite scrupulously on a true story. So as a novelist, I love how it plays out because it plays out in a really slow, nuanced, very detailed way mm-hmm. um, that is just, I don't know, it's just like a slow car wreck in a way, you know, that that happens in, in slow-mo. And it's just so good. I mean, the periodness of it, at that time, I was, you know, it's it. It goes from 78 to 80. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was like 8, 9, and 10. And it's like the periodness of it is so spot on. I mean, I swear to God, I can spot like blouses and sweaters that like my mother wore, you know, mm-hmm. or the, the interiors of their houses are so to the period, like that sort of Ethan Allen, like brown furniture. Everything's kind of brown and tan, you know. The cars, the music is incredible. It's so much like she's always in the car with like AM radio on. So you're always hearing like Juice Newton or, but she's just so good. I've never really seen her in anything before. And she's incredible. I mean, even just like her face when she's like alone in the car is like riveting to watch. And it's so good because, um, it's sort of a story about when basically good people through a series of choices end up in a nightmare, mm-hmm. you know, it's really, really, really good. And it's also like, a, um, it's kind of like a romantic noir suspense that becomes a courtroom drama at a certain point. Like it sort of changes genres halfway through. Yeah. It's really good. So I guess that's ju- only because probably because I ju- my husband and I just finished watching it a few nights ago it's still like we've been saying to each other like we can't stop thinking about it it's, it's really it has a really haunting quality yeah so i my first question about this is like i have like like whatever the version of tv analysis paralysis is like i will see so many options and i'm like jesus i don't know what to watch and i'll just like defer to watching like the great british baking show again like for the hundredth time um, so what drew you initially? You mentioned not really having seen Elizabeth Olsen and, and much else. Like what drew you guys to wanting to watch the series when you first kind of like saw the trailer or saw the the, you know Well, we're always just just like you said, I think we always go into this slight despair when we finish something amazing. <laughs> we're like, oh no, like where's the next where's the next hit of really good pure drug that's gonna like you know, that's going to be our hit for like the next week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I think it was kind of just the, you know, we were on, I think we were on, you know, oh yeah, it's on Max because of course, like the good gays, middle-aged gays that we are, we've been watching and just like that, mm-hmm. you know, the Sex, and, the Sex and the City reboot. Yeah. So it was presented to us when we finished that. And then we were like, uh, and he loves Elizabeth Olsen because he 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 knows her from like some Marvel mm-hmm. comic movie or something that yeah. he showed me a clip from. I'm not a big, I'm not a, I lack the sci-fi Marvel 
superhero gene. Like that kind of stuff just has never, even since I was a kid, has never really interested me. I always want to watch like the domestic, naturalistic family drama. Yeah. I mean, I've been like that since I was 10, you know? Um, Like I would have taken Little House on the Prairie over Star Wars any day because I wanted to like go to the, go to the general store with the with Laura and like buy my own calico and make my own dresses. Listen, my <laughs> one of my favorite authors of all time is Wendell Berry, who writes just like American pastoral books. He's like this 90, I think he's like 97 now. He lives in Kentucky. He lived on this farm that his like family has owned for five generations. He writes naturalistic poetry. All of his fiction is literally about a small town that he's made up, which is basically just the small town that he's from. And so I get it. I'm all for that. Like, I, I'm the same. Like, I never cared about, I'm like one of the few people, it sounds like you may be the same, where like, when it comes to Star Wars, I, like, I, I feel like you have to either love or hate it. And I just don't care. I'm so indifferent. Like, it doesn't matter to me at all. Like, yeah, no, I know. I can't, like, I, I just, I can't connect with something that, I mean, you know, I can watch it a little bit and, and marvel at the technological visual Mm-hmm. you know, br- brilliance of it. And and I can certainly watch the old, old like the first one and be charmed by, you know, the technology of film at that time, you know, that made it look as sophisticated as it did at the time, even though now it looks really charmingly, you know. But yeah. I just can't, I just can't, um, I guess I have a hard time connecting to stories that I know are, you know, that are fantasy or sci-fi and then involve mm-hmm. these, why, I, I, I mean, I, and certainly as a writer, like, I think, I've always felt that real life is sort of like, kind of, like, um, uh, extraordinary and horrifying and beautiful and shocking enough. Yeah. You know, I've never needed, like, leaps into, like, wild imaginative territory, like time travel and stuff like that, or, you know, yeah. other galaxies. Yeah, I mean, I will do some, like, uh, magical realism type stuff or, like, speculative fiction. But I always say, like, the the line I always use to describe the books I like. I like small stories with big emotions, which is honestly one of the reasons I loved your book so much, which we'll get to in just a bit. But, like, I totally, you're woke. I totally know what you mean. Like, I feel like we've hit the point now with technology where I'm just not, like, I know that if I were to watch a, a fantasy novel or a fantasy movie or like he's like one of the Marvel ones. I, I watched like the early Marvel movies, but I'm just like, yeah, I get it. There's incredible virtual effects teams out there who can do this stuff, which is why if I'm going to watch a movie like that, I'm more drawn to like Guillermo del Toro. He'll write his stuff tends to be like more like physical tricks, like actual practical effects, which that stuff, practical stuff is very impressive to me, but it's like at a certain point, our computers are so advanced and I'm like, yeah, you, you made a very impressive looking blue beam go into the sky and that's how you're going to end the third act of your story. So I, I'm with you. I, you know, that's so funny you say that because, um, I have this, I have a friend, I'm like 54, but one of my best friends is like 30 and we're both like film nuts. Like Mm -hmm. we get together twice a week and like we watch, a, a film usually an old film yeah and so recently we've been on because a lot of these films a lot of these films we've been watching what we call like 80s prestige films like all the <laughs> yeah. films that won like you know oscars in the 80s like a lot of which i had saw a long time ago but he's never seen so 
we were watching Out of Africa, mm -hmm. you know, with Meryl Streep and Robert Redford, which came out in 1985. And like, we couldn't, it's so sumptuous. Mm -hmm. It is so sumptuous. I mean, you, you know, the issues of, you know, rep race and Africa and representation is one thing. I mean, it's actually kind of weirdly good for the period in, in which it was yeah. made. Like they acknowledge colonialism and that it's not really their country. It's not really their continent. It's not mm -hmm. really their land. But it's so gorgeous. Like, you know, there are these aerial shots and these wide shots. And we were just like, this is all real. Yeah. Like none of this is CGI. Mm -hmm. Like it would, it would, it would, of course it would be CGI today, but we were just sort of marveling at how gorgeous it was and that it was all real, you know, mm -hmm. like every shot, they obviously they shot it on location and like every shot had to be like meticulously worked out, you know, yeah. no matter how expansive or like epic the shot was. Yeah. I, I think honestly, exactly what you're saying is why I love like, I'm I kind of talking on both sides of my mouth because I, I always like I say like I don't really care about the computer generated graphics because I'm like okay at a certain point our computers are just incredible but I will be blown away by watching like the new like the new natural like nature documentaries that have been coming out whether it's on like Disney or wherever that you know Netflix and they will use these cameras that are like just absurd like you know eight thousand k whatever it is eight k it's like these insane cameras to show like a frog jumping from one leaf to the next. And I absolutely will be like, oh, huh. did you guys see that frog? Is anyone else like I will be blown away by that stuff. And and like exactly what you're saying about like out of Africa. And I that stuff does impress me where I'm like, okay, it's all real. It's all like these are things that are actually happening in the world. That stuff really does fascinate me. I I, I know what you mean by that. Yeah. So about, um, you know, love and death, like, what was it that, that captivated you? You know, you mentioned kind of like how these unbalanced good people can have situations turn into a nightmare. But like, what, what kept you so like enthralled with it once the story had ended? Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, I think the part that like really left me feeling haunted was, well, I guess I don't want to overly spoil it for anyone who might watch it. But let me put it this way. There's a long period, there's a long segment in the story that between when someone does something heinous and when someone commits a murder mm -hmm. and when justice catches up to them. And in this interval, they go on with their regular life. Mm. And watching the actor play that you know going on with their regular domestic life and their daily domestic duties um with the knowledge that they've done this thing was like fascinating and mm -hmm. haunting you know um and what and watching the actor sort of embody the split that takes place in in their personality uh was was really cool and i think it's just what i loved about it again was like it's a really slow I mean, this is the truth. I don't like, I mean, once I'm in a really good like TV series, I'm so in it. But like, I am not, I'm, you know, I'm not saying this to sound fall, fall, fall. But like most nights I read rather than like watch TV mm -hmm. because I'm a writer and I just love, you know, at any time I have like, I'm sure just like you, I have a stack of 12 books that I'm like really excited to get to. 
And recently that include what I've been doing is I have a wonderful um, secondhand bookstore cafe like around the corner from me. Yeah. So what I've been doing is like in bits and pieces buying, whenever I go in there, I buy a, a book that I've wanted to read for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of add it, some, but it never has, you know, like Ann Beattie, for example, like I've never really read Ann Beattie's short stories, you know, mm-hmm. even though I've heard amazing or Alice Monroe or, you know, so many, so many authors that I have yet have heard about for decades, but have really yet to get to. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so on most nights, I'd rather do that. But, um, but I think with this show, it's, it's how, you know, and you can see when you start watching a new TV series, you see how it's engineered to like, hook you as fast as possible. Like they're so scared that you're going to be like, meh, and, you know, hit your thing and go over to another. Mm-hmm. Then it, it, it feels, pilots feel like turbocharged in this really, to me, really obnoxious way. Mm-hmm. And as you probably could tell from speech team, like I like a slow boil. Yeah. I really do. Like I like a relaxed rollout, you know, that accrues meaning and tension slowly. And it's very much like that. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, the atmosphere, their lives are so perfect in a way that the atmosphere is so charged with like, oh, damn, you know something's going to happen. Yeah. You know? I Honestly, this is, a, this is a good time to transition into speech team because you mentioned being fascinated in Love and Death by the, this character who does something pretty bad and then kind of lives their life as if nothing has happened. So, I mean, that's that's not giving anything away in speech team, but I think it's a good kind of transition. And it's interesting to hear you say that that's what fascinated you because there's definitely some aspects of that in speech team. So before we like kind of dive into breaking down random parts about the book, do you want to kind of tell my listeners sort of an introduction to speech team and then that'll help kind of color the rest of our discussion about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's about, um, it's about four friends who, when they were in high school in the, the, mid late eighties in the Massachusetts public school, they were all on speech team together and 25 years have passed. And now they're all in their early forties. And, um, you know, in the Facebook era, kind of the early Facebook era. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're slowly brought back together by the news that a fifth member of the team who was always sort of like the oddball, you know, the, the, the one who didn't seem to really be able to connect with people has killed himself. And, he 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 leaves a goodbye note on Facebook saying to the teacher who was the coach of the speech team, you know, and Mr. Gold, I never forgot what you said to me when you called me like a, you know, like a fucking robotic drone mm-hmm. ro- robot. And so this slowly kind of reunites the four of them, right? And they, they slow in bits and bits and starts, they reunite. Um, and they share notes and they realize that they were all told like really, you know, uh, abusive, upsetting things by this speech coach. So they, the leap, I think into novel land as opposed to real life land is that they take a trip, um, to Florida where he's in retirement and they determine that they will, um, seek him out and that they will confront him and not, not like. You know, people have said to me, like, ooh, do they kidnap him or do they kill him? <laughs> I mean, no, it's not that kind of book. Um, they they really just want to ask him this 
to say, you know, these are the things you said to us. And do you even remember? Mm-hmm. And why did you say them? Yeah. You know, they just want some kind of, and, you know, and it's not just, and especially for Tip, the narrator, it's not just about that one thing. It's about how the things that that teacher said kind of crystallize the experience that they all had when they were in high school as different kinds of outsiders. So it's kind of like a reckoning with, you know, I call it, I say the book, it's about, it's about small T trauma. It's not about, you know, devastating trauma. It's about this subtle trauma that like so many of us, the message is what we are told, you know, when we're children or teenagers that never, that we never fully exercise from our mm-hmm. consciousness and it be kind of becomes woven into our concept of who we are and how that can shapes us often misshapes us, you know, as we become adults. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was just going to say, I, I was laughing, you said like small T trauma, which I, I get, I've read the book, like I get what you mean. But at the same time, I always think of like high school and your teenage years. I have, um, I have a bunch of nieces and nephews and the oldest one is 16. So she's going into her junior year of high school, which is wild to think about. But I, I think so much about back when I was at that age, like having my first girlfriend or like experiencing my first what I thought was like heartbreak or like these interactions I had with people that were either friends or acquaintances or teachers and like things that I wouldn't have thought twice about back then saying like, I still remember now at 37, like they're stuck in my brain, like, holy shit, I can't believe you said that. Or like, wow, what, what were you thinking? And so while while you're saying it's like small traumas, I think because at that age, we're all experiencing these huge emotions for the first time, like in trying to figure out how to process them. I mean, it, it makes sense that the experiences we had in high school would, if not shape who we turn out to as adults, like at least, like you said, kind of be like buried. And it's, I feel like it's not a surprise that in therapy, I, I talk a lot about like things in high school and when I was younger first, as opposed to like adult situations, because you don't really know how to handle them and you might think that they're just okay. And then when you, it's not until you become like a fully fledged, you know, capital A adult that you're like, holy shit, this was all pretty messed up. Like I I get where that was, where you would want to write about those things. Like, was this, you know, I guess like, where did this idea initially come from? Was it like, did you have not great experiences for you on a, on a speech team? Like where, where did this all sort of start baking? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I've said, I mean, basically, I mean, you know, to be quite honest, like, you know, there's a, my name is Tim Murphy and the, and the, and the storyteller's name is Tip Murray. It's blatantly uh, <laughs> autofiction. I should say the part that's set in the 80s is, I mean, that, that, that's all basically like memoir. Yeah. You know, and what, and what the teacher, what the coach says to Tip is, you know, verbatim what, a teacher said to me, mm-hmm. you know, which was like, which was, why are you such a screaming homosexual? Like you need to, you yeah. need to pull yourself together and like tone it down, which, you know, I remember to this day I was, and I was not one at a loss for words. You can ask anyone who's known me my whole life. Yeah. I was a very mouthy kid, but I just remember being stunned into silence, mm-hmm. like, because it wasn't, you know, other kids, you know, would call me a faggot all the time. Yeah. Uh, but they were kids. 
you know, I expected it from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no, this was the early and mid eighties. There was no, there were no anti-bullying programs or, you know, words hurt programs or, you know, we're all special and, you know, it, but to, to be taken aside, I mean, he didn't, he pulled me aside privately to say this to me. And I was so, I remember walking out like so stunned, like feeling so exposed, so seen in the worst way. Yeah. You know, and this was by also by a teacher that I didn't expect it from this teacher mm-hmm. because this teacher was, you know, I felt kind of literary and intellectual and not a jock teacher. Like we had a lot of teachers that they basically were just teaching there to coach the sports teams, you know? Yeah, same. Yeah, I mean, typical, typical middle-class public high school. So, uh, I'm sorry, I kind of, I lost my own train of thought. What was the question? (laughs) No, you're, yeah, yeah, like how, where did it come from? So yeah, it definitely came from personal experience. But it also came from uh, a few years ago, uh, I, I met up with two friends from high school who I literally had not seen since graduation day. Mm -hmm. And we shared notes on, you know, what the experience was like. And I left and it was, it was one of them was gay and one was Jewish, you know, and in a town that was not very Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was surprised to hear from her, like how much verbal shit she got, you know, for being Jewish. It made me think about God, you know, you know, there were a tiny sprinkling of kids who were not white in mm-hmm. my high school. Tiny, tiny, like less than 1% probably. And I mean, she was white, she was Jewish. But, you know, for the first time I was like, oh, what, w-? I mean, high school was, it was hell for me. What was it like for them, mm-hmm. you know? And that, the book started spinning up from there. And also to to a point we were talking about, I left this meetup with these two friends feeling so weirdly um, bruised, you know, like it really upset me how much these memories still hurt. Mm-hmm. I thought I was supposed to be past them. I was like 50 by this point. And I sort of walked away like, whoa, that really, that was, that was years of abuse, mm-hmm. you know? And so the novel, it kind of started spinning out from that. I started thinking a lot about what would people say, you know, like if you caught up with people years later and asked them if they remembered that they said this or did that, what would they say? Would they, would they, would they not remember? Would they feign not remembering? Would Mm -hmm. they cop to it and say, I'm so sorry, you know, I've changed since then. Like it just got me thinking and, you know, and flip and vice versa too. I mean, what are the things that I've said or done, you know, to people, friends, et cetera, that I just tossed off, but that they never forgot, you know? Yeah. Um, so it all started like spinning out of that. And also I, quite honestly, the book was also like a blatant attempt to just write like a smaller, more commercial, accessible book than my last two books, which are like mm-hmm. twice the size of this one. And they're big, they're set against like big historical backdrops. Yeah. And I just wanted to try to write like a book, quote, a book club book. Yeah. You know? Was it, I mean, to write this book, was it cathartic? Was it fun? Like, did it feel different than your other books? How did, how did writing this story feel? You know, something really funny, it, it, 
I don't know if I would say it was cathartic. I, I, I feel like in a weird way, it brought me closer to it. It made me think about the connection between then and now and how kind of like the abuse of that time shaped me as an adult mm-hmm. in, in ways that thinking about that was not always pleasant, actually. You know, it was important for me that the book also be breezy, you know, mm-hmm. and funny to sort of offset the kind of darker notes of the book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I wanted it to be, I wanted the conversations between them to like be really funny and bing, bing, bang. And, you know, so I assume like, like you say, cause it is kind of like semi-autobiographical was, um, like, were you, you were actually on like speech team? Was that something? You- yeah, I was. Okay. So I want to ask about this because I, I was not, I, I took, I went to a very small high school where you, one of the cool things about it, I was actually the, the last graduating class before they closed our school. It was very, very tiny. Um, I think I graduated with 47 people. So very, very small. And because of that, I got to do everything. I was like, I got to do sports. I got to do drama and and everything, but I never, I didn't do speech until I went to college where I had to take like a speech and a speech and debate course. And our professor was like this like national champion who took it very seriously. And he had a bunch of like English and communication majors who had to take it as just a class we had to take. And it was such a unique experience for me in my mind. I was like, oh, I'm great at talking. I'm great at conversing. I'm great. I, I can definitely do this. And then we like learned all the different debate, like ad hominem, all these different like things that you had to learn in speech. So like, what was the experience like, you know, setting aside the, um, you know, the aspects that became the book, like just the kind of like day in and day out, what was it about like debate team and speech team that you really like, I know it's speech team, not debate team, but like, what was it for you that, like drew drew you to it. What was it that you enjoyed? Yeah, right. I know what you mean. Um, yeah. I love speech team. I mean, to I it, because it was an extension of literature and of journalism. Yeah. You know, there were so many categories. There was, um, you know, I did original oratory where like you wrote your own speech and you delivered it. Yeah. I did poetry. I did children's literature. Uh, you know, we would do group theater or group uh, dramatic presentation where we would like present a, a scene from a play. So it was really like an extension of all these things that I loved already. Like, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's fiction or nonfiction, like journalism, rhetoric or whatever, politics and issues of the day, poetry, theater. It was a chance to, I mean, it was kind of like, uh, I think I say in the book, it was kind of like being a theater nerd without even the, you know, the grudging adulation you get from your fellow students when you actually put on a play yeah because all the speech stuff that we did was off-site you know it was Mm -hmm. uh, these competitions were at other schools yeah so it was um but i just i just loved it i mean i particularly i just loved i remember uh i loved doing poetry because like you'd have to do such a deep dive into like the poetry you were reading and like really analyze it line by line and think about what the what the emotional arc of the poem was and how you know what sort of an emotion you wanted to convey with the poem through your words and your inflections um and it was also you know and i wove a lot of this into the book it was if you were really had never left your little town which i basically hadn't it was a it was a peek into the rest of the world you know mm-hmm. even if the rest of that world was just other towns like in your state yeah. You saw different kinds of kids. I mean, like, honest to God, the first time I saw 
richer kids or poorer kids or black kids or Jewish kids or private school kids. Like it was all through speech team, you know, and it was sort of this realization that like, oh, there's a bigger world out there. And there's a lot of smart, um, smart, nerdy, weird kids out there, you know, like, and that was so, uh, and I, you know, I think a lot of high school kids have that experience when they do theater or something, you know, anything that involves like traveling to other mm-hmm. schools and, you know, some statewide thing, you get a glimpse of maybe like the bigger world and your options. Yeah. I, it's very liberating. Yeah. I, I mean, I also, like I said, going to a small school, like we, we did put on some really great like performances, but it was very cool getting to be like a football player a baseball player but then like get to go be like the herald and cinderella and put on like canary yellow tights and like it was a very like judgment-free zone having a blast and like i and that was only within our own school so i can only imagine like it's like going i will say we when in my, in my college course like the final for that was to actually like enter a debate like competition that was held at our school but it was they brought in other colleges and it was, I mean, it was great at that point, you know, when you're in college, you do get to meet a bunch of different people from different places as is, but then like even having other people come that actually did like speech and debate, like relatively competitively, it was like, oh my God, these are just, they're on a, such another level to the abilities of these, everyone in our court, our, our class who was taking it for like an hour a week, as opposed to the, like the people who are actually in it. But, um, I will say the, the, the novel, like I, I asked you if it was cathartic for you to to write it because as I was reading it, I really found myself having like like emotions and things I hadn't thought about really churned up and like in both a good and a bad way, but like it was it was really enjoyable for me to think back about my own experiences. And I feel like other people are gonna feel the same way when they read it if they if they haven't yet. Um I, I just really love that. I think it's it's such a important conversation because people might not realize the things that they experience as high schoolers, even when they become adults that like did end up affecting them. And I think this book will, will really kind of help shine a light on that. This isn't a question. This is me. Like I said, before we started recording, I'm just shining. I'm just pouring praise on you now at this point. Oh, thanks, Adam. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so before I let you go, I always end with having the author give a recommendation of, of some kind to my listeners um, it can be a book. It can be something else. I'm not going to let you use the the TV show that we were just talking about, Love and Death. But um, what is something you recommend people check out? Again, it could be a book. It could be something else, but something you want more people to know about. Oh, gosh. Um, well, I think I mentioned to you before you started recording that I just love this new singer. His name is Omar Apollo. Mm-hmm. He's he's like uh, he's like Mexican-American. I think he grew up in like Indiana. Mm-hmm. I'm just crazy about him. Um, someone, you know, just introduced me to him. So I've been listening to him a lot. I think his latest, his newest album is called Ivory. Mm-hmm. Just been listening to it constantly. He he gives me uh, Frank Ocean vibes. You know, like one of my favorite albums of the past many, many years is Blonde. Mm-hmm. And to me, it has a blonde vibe. It's very, um, there's a very abstract uh deconstructed kind of vibe to the tracks but uh very emotional you know with, mm-hmm. with a, using a lot of strange a lot of strange sounds you know but adding up to like a very kind of raw emotional feel so i love that and then i think i had said that i really in terms of what i've read recently 
There's a trilogy of books by, she's a, a French writer named Virginie Despont, and the trilogy is the, it's the Vernon Subutex trilogy, V-E-R-N-O-N-S-U-B-U-T-E-X. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved the, I loved the first book in this trilogy so much more than anything you know, there's been only a handful of times in my life where I was like, just wept, you know, mm-hmm. that I just thought a book was so good, so beautiful. So touching on, you know, the secret of life or whatever. And I really had that experience with the first book. I was finishing it coming back on a, on a flight and was totally crying, you know, like <laughs> the last, the last few chapters of the book. I have to admit, I was, you know, um, I always think that like, some something really good is always so hard to sustain, you know. And the second book in the trilogy, I, I thought was okay. It didn't quite stab me in the heart the way the first one did. And I admit, I I've petered out on the third. But God, that first book. I mean, they've called her like the contemporary Balzac because you know the book is about a collection of Parisian contemporary Parisians. Uh, who it's partly a group of old friends, but it's about a lot of lives that end up crisscrossing in unusual <laughs> ways. And it's just really good. Yeah, I'm absolutely good. When you told me about it beforehand, I wrote it down. I'm absolutely going to check it out. And for everyone else, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. So you guys can, can go check it out as well. Tim, I absolutely adored speech team. I was so excited to get to talk to you about it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Adam. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And good luck with your podcast. It's really cool. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. 